hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving. Maybe I'll be the first to wish you a Merry Christmas. Can you believe it's almost December? You know, at the Odom home Friday for us, Friday was the day that the Christmas music was allowed to begin playing. And we had a debate on the stage a few years ago about when you start your Christmas music, but Friday for us was decoration day. It was pull out the tree, unload the, the garage with all the stuff and let's get decorated for Christmas. And you start playing all the music and there's this song that says, you know, it's the happiest season of all. Christmas, Thanksgiving, the holidays, everything's supposed to be perfect. Even maybe feel a little bit of that pressure that everything is supposed to be perfect. And then Friday, I'm on the driveway and I pull out that bin of last year's Christmas lights and I begin to plug them in to test them. You know where this is going. And last year when they were hanging, they fully lit up. But when you plug them in, it's like, yes, yes, yes. And at the very end of the strand, right? Nope. And you're like, okay, this is the moment of truth. You have to decide, are you gonna spend the rest of your day trying to solve if it's a fuse, if it's a bulb, which bulb, if you touch it this way, it comes on. If you lay it down this way, it, it doesn't work. And you have to decide. So I made the executive decision this year. Karis and I were right on the driveway and we were testing them. And I just said, anyone that doesn't work, just throw them over there. We're throwing them away. I'm not doing it this year. This was the year I said, I'm not doing it. It's the happiest season of all, but it's not always the happiest season of all. Because Friday night, I gathered my family around the TV and I said, Odom family, we're gonna watch the mighty Gators play football. <laughs> and then a couple hours later, we turned it off and I said, everybody go to bed. <laughs> and then I sent a text message to our lead pastor, Corey, and I said, hey, Corey, I hope your Saturday is better than my Friday night. And if you pay attention to college football, I think some of you here were even hoping he was preaching today so that you could find him and rib him because Ohio State doesn't lose very often. But Saturday was a day as well that my Gators go down Friday night and the Buckeyes go down Saturday. And I'm listening to the song, it's the happiest season of all. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not, right? But in reality, it really is a season that we make up we build it up to be this perfect month. When in reality, for many of us, it's not. Maybe even with Thanksgiving week, you experience some real family relational challenges. There may be people that you kind of avoid for 11 months out of the year. And then in late November and in December, you have to spend some time with them. Maybe this is a season, just this morning, I was talking to one of our church members whose spouse passed away a number of months ago, and this is their first Thanksgiving without their spouse. It'll be their first Christmas without their spouse. And I said, how are you doing? And she said, man, it's been hard. Thanksgiving was okay. I'm not sure how Christmas will go. It's the happiest season of all, but, but you know, it's not really always the happiest season of all. I wanna invite you, grab your copy of God's Word and go to James chapter one. We're gonna see what does God have to say to us today about how do we respond, maybe in the holiday season when it's supposed to be perfect, but when life's not perfect. Or maybe just at any time during the year when, when life's not perfect. Go to James chapter one, the author of this is Jesus' brother himself. And he's writing, which is important. He's writing to a group of Jewish Christians that have been dispersed. They've left their homeland. Even some families have been separated. They're going through persecution, economic persecution, going through some significant challenges. And James writes a five chapter book that's very practical. If you're looking for a book that's gonna give you practical ways to live the Christian life, the book of James is great. 
And this morning, we're going to look at just four simple verses. James 1, verses 2 through 4 and verse 12. Here's what James has to say. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Then you jump down to verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray together, church. Father, we come before you this morning as we open your word to us. God, we pray today that we would hear from you. God, I pray that you would move me to the side and that you would just speak, that your word would go forth and Father, that you would change us from the inside. That God, may our Christmas season look different this year as we lean into you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, this morning I wanna give you the big idea. It's the big idea for the passage that we're gonna look at this morning. And here's the big idea. Trials can either lead us toward the Lord or away from him, depending on how we respond. It's the response that matters. Whatever you came into this morning facing, whatever, when you walk out these doors, it's gonna be waiting for you. It's how we respond that matters. Does it lead us toward the Lord or does it actually cause us to drift away and pull away from him? So this morning, as we dive into these few verses, we're gonna see five things about trials. Five things that kind of come from the text this morning. Here's the first things we're gonna see is that trials don't discriminate. Trials do not discriminate. Look with me in verse two, the, la the last half. It says, when you meet trials of various kinds. W-H-E-N, not W-I-N. Florida didn't experience that Friday night. But it's a W-H-E-N. We will all walk through trials. It doesn't discriminate on age, socioeconomic status, family upbringing. It's kind of like waves in the ocean. They come and they crash and they rescind and another one's on the way. I don't know about you, there's been so many times, even recently that Aaron and I, my wife and I are talking about things. Well, okay, I think we've got this situated and I think we're in a good spot. And before you know it, boom, the next thing happens. Well, we weren't planning on that. Well, we weren't looking towards that happening. The unexpected things of life happen. And it says when you meet trials of various kinds, there's all sorts of trials that come our way. Maybe you're a kid in the room. There's trials that little kids run into or teenagers Young adults, adults, senior adults, whatever season of life you're in, there's trials for those seasons of life. Maybe you're experiencing with the inflation some financial challenges. Now, many of us are navigating those or maybe some health challenges. Maybe things that you didn't expect. You recently went to the doctor and they gave you some news that was shocking. Or maybe there's some things that you're walking through that, that you didn't expect. There's simple trials that last a day and then there's sometimes trials we walk through that are complex that may last a week, a month, a year, maybe decades. Maybe there's things that you know that you will have to navigate for the rest of your life. It says, when you meet trials of various kinds, we run into trials in all sorts of ways. There can be trials that happen just because life happens. 
Maybe you're sitting at a red light just waiting for the light to turn green and somebody behind you isn't paying attention. Next thing you know, you've got some health challenges and you've got some transportation challenges. No fault of your own, just life happens. Sometimes we have trials because of our own unwise decisions or our sinful nature. Sometimes we love to blame others when in reality we brought it upon ourselves. Maybe you've been there, maybe, maybe you haven't. I know, I know I've been there that some of the trials I walked through is not necessarily because of a broken world, it's because of a broken Scott. Trials come at us when we see them coming or when they're unexpected, but they don't discriminate. Every one of us in the room, every one of us online walks through trials and challenges regardless of your background or who you are or how great you are. Here's the second thing I want us to see from verse two is trials, when we meet them, we should meet them with joy. Look at the very beginning of verse two. Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now think with me for a second. The audience that James is writing to are Jewish Christians that have been dispersed. They've left their homeland. They're in persecution. James writes a practical book with over 50 commands in this book. He's five chapters, over 50 commands. He's going to tell them all sorts of things to live the Christian life. And the very first thing, verse 2, chapter 1, life stinks, counted a joy. Now if I'm in that when this letter gets passed around, I'm thinking, close that letter, disregard. No thank you, James. He comes straight out of the gate. Doesn't pull any punches with those that he's writing to. It doesn't seem rational. It doesn't seem logical that when life stinks to pursue it through joy. But see what James is getting at here is that as a Christian, If you've surrendered to Jesus as a Christ follower, then our joy is not based off our circumstance of the moment. Though the group that he was writing to were going through a very difficult season, he says, look into the goodness of God that we just sang about. Look at the sovereignty of God. Lean into that and hold on to that because as a follower of Jesus, our response should be different than the response of the world. Let's look for a moment at just some examples in the scripture. One of my favorite books in all of the Bible is a small little book called Habakkuk. I even debated naming one of my kids Habakkuk. That lasted about a two second conversation with my wife. None of my kids. Then I said, what if we named one of them like their middle name? That was another two second conversation. But Habakkuk's a prophet And Judah, he loves the people of Judah. He's a prophet to the people of Judah. And the Lord has declared the Babylonians are on their way to bring judgment. There's about to be great destruction to to Judah. The Babylonians are gonna bring this judgment of God is coming from these people. And Habakkuk's job is to be the prophet to them. And he's broken over what's about to take place. And he says this in Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the yield and the field yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. There be no herd in the stalls. Life is horrendous. It's only gonna get worse. He says this in verse 18, yet, look at that three letter word, yet in spite of, even though I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will take joy in the God of my salvation, not my circumstance, but the God of my salvation. You see, Habakkuk didn't discount the circumstance. He was honest. I mean, you saw that in verse 17. It's bad and it's going to get worse. But he said, yet. That's a powerful three-letter word that we can hold on to today. Yet. Even though I will rejoice in the Lord. You go to the New Testament, Paul is in prison, wrongfully in prison, mind you. There's been no justice. He was just telling people about Jesus, wrongfully in prison. In Philippians 4.4, we get this famous verse. VBS theme song comes from it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say what, church? Rejoice. Context makes that jump off the page. We know Paul's in prison, wrongfully in prison, and there's no justice being done. And Paul says, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'm going to say it because maybe he's saying it to himself. Rejoice. In 2 Corinthians 7, 4, Paul, the same individual, said this, in all of our affliction, makes an all-consuming statement, I am overflowing with joy. Not because he loves his circumstances, but because he knows the outcome of his circumstances. And you have the disciples in the book of Acts, they're out telling people about Jesus and, and there's some punishment coming their way. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. It says, when they had called in the apostles, kind of the religious elite, the leaders, they beat them, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. But look at the disciples' response. This is amazing. It says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, being the name of Jesus. Look at those examples of, of Paul and the disciples and an Old Testament prophet, not disregarding their circumstance, but looking beyond their circumstance to the God of all. And then you think about the greatest example of all, our savior, Jesus himself, who left heaven and came to earth and he walked earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sin, was buried, rose on the third day and offers all of us hope and salvation. And we can be made right with God if we'll surrender to him. And we're here today worshiping him because of Jesus. And it says in Hebrews 12 too, not just that Jesus died on the cross, but it says in 12 too, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Look at that for a moment. It was joyous to him. No, the moment was not joyous to be separated from the father that he had never experienced when he was on the cross. And he cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? The separation, there was nothing joyous in that, but his joy was there was something that God was doing in the outcome. It's what God was doing that was gonna be joyous. What he was doing through the pain, God was at work. We see all of these examples. Now, understand this morning here at Bell Shoals, we wanna be authentic people. I'm not talking about disregarding what's really taking place in your life and having a, a fake church smile and just acting like everything's great when, you're, when it's not great. I mean, cancer and health challenges are not good. Hurricane destruction to our property is not good. Relational strife is not good. Loss of life is not good. Financial hardships are not good. They're all effects of sin and the brokenness of our world of which Jesus came to make all things right, 
to make all things new. So this morning, I'm not saying look at your circumstance and put on a fake smile. We need to be real, we need to be authentic, but we see in these New Testament examples that in the difficult moments, they look beyond the moment and they look to the God of all things. So we see in this verse two, that trials don't discriminate and they should be met with joy, but why? The big question to me as I unpack this text is why meet them with joy? That's great, have a good attitude about it, great. But why should we meet them with joy? Well, look at me in verse three. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here's the why. Because trials produce toughness. Trials, they're doing something. They're producing something. Here it's called steadfastness. When you dive into that word, that's endurance. That's toughness, perseverance, tenacity. It's a word that speaks about the ability to stand up when something is pressing down on you. See, what God is doing in your trials is he's producing something in you. He's doing something in you. He has a greater purpose and it's the ability to cause you to be able to stand up under something that's pressing down on you. A faith that is tested is a faith that gets stronger. When a faith is tested, it gets stronger. Paul said the same thing in Romans 5, 3. He said this, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. He basically said the same thing James said. Suffering produces something and it produces endurance. Something that's happening. God's doing something. We live in a, we live in a little neighborhood in our area here with a, a few homes and it's about a seven-year-old neighborhood. And there's a few residents in our neighborhood for whatever reason and when you build a neighborhood, they put all these trees in, in between the sidewalk and the road, which are awesome for about 15 or 20 years. And then all the sidewalks start to bubble up and it's like, why did we do that, right? Every neighborhood around here does it. So in about 10 years, that'll be happening in our neighborhood. But there's a number of residents, I don't know a number, but a few in our neighborhood that when they planted those trees, you know, they put the ropes up to hold the tree in place, right? They put the ropes up and they're gonna hold the tree in place because the tree needs to get a little stronger to withstand things. Well, there's a couple of trees in our neighborhood that they never took down the ropes. So seven years later, there's a couple of trees in our neighborhood sitting right along the sidewalk that the ropes are still there. And do you know what? Those are the most immature, weak, and small trees in all of the neighborhood. Well, why is that? It's because the, the roots have never had to grow. They've never had to be strained. They've never had to be challenged. They've never had to walk through trials. So they get planted and they're just kind of the same little tree sitting there because they've never been pushed. But the trees that had the ropes removed over a little bit of time, now the roots had to go deep when there was a season of drought. When the wind comes, the roots had to be strong to hold the tree upright. In order for the tree to meet their full potential, they needed to go through the elements and to get stronger. And once they got stronger, they'll last decades. And these little trees, if we take the rope down, they'll just fall apart. Some of the trees, some of those trees I'm talking about actually were laying down like this after, after our little windstorm recently and they pulled them back up with the ropes and put them back down. I'm like, just dig up the tree, put a new one. It's never gonna look good. I drive by it every single day. Like, what are we doing? Maybe in the middle of the night, I'll just chop it down. Right? I won't do that. Don't tell my neighbor. I won't do that, right? right? But the reality is those trees 
have gotten stronger, the ones without the ropes, because they went through trials, the elements in order to meet their full potential. Know this, when you're walking through a trial, God's doing something bigger than that moment. When you're walking through something and all you can see is that day, and you're like, what in the world is going on? God's doing something bigger than the pain of that moment. He's producing something in you. See, trials are not an enemy of your faith. Sometimes we view trials and challenges as an enemy of our faith. Actually, you could argue they're the best friend of our faith because that's what grows us stronger. I mean, we're, we're getting to the end of this year and there's gonna be all sorts of things on TV and places kind of celebrating 2022 and you know, leading towards 2023 and what does next year hold? And the reality is nobody knows what next year holds because nobody in 2019 was like, we're about to shut the world down. Nobody said that because nobody knows what 2023 holds, but one person. He knows what 2023 holds. God of the universe knows what, what the future holds. And here's the deal. He knows what you need to walk through 2023 and beyond. And he's preparing you now, producing in you a toughness. He's doing something in you so that you can stand up whatever's gonna be pressing down on you. He's preparing you for that moment. So we walk through it and we think, what is going on? We don't need to always ask the why, God. We need to ask the what are you doing? What are you preparing? What needs to grow in my life and be developed? Because he knows what the future holds and he's preparing you for the future. So those are three things we've seen this morning. But here's the fourth thing is that trials mature our faith. They mature our faith. Look at me in verse, verse four. See, when you produce this toughness in you, verse four, and let this toughness, this endurance, this steadfastness have its full effect. Let's let it flesh out. What's gonna happen? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now this per perfect here is not a perfection like you're gonna be sinless. It's speaking of completion, wholeness. See, when God begins to work in you, he's producing this steadfastness, this toughness. And then when that has its full effect, when you get all of it, it begins to build you up, mature you, complete you. It begins to do a great work in your life that only trials can be used to be part of completing you. It's kind of that laboratory idea. In the laboratory of trials is when your faith gets grown and strengthened and matured begins to develop. You know, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for many years. If you take for a moment and you think about maybe two decades ago, hopefully where you stand today in your walk with the Lord is more faithful, not perfect, but more faithful and a little closer towards completion than you were a decade or two ago. That's because the Lord is at work. I remember nine years ago, December of 2013, my wife loves puzzles. I do not. I have no patience for puzzles. It's a daunting task. So she bought a thousand piece puzzle and this box had like 8 billion colors on it and was all this candy. It looked like to me immediately when I saw it, I thought this is a literal impossibility. Every piece looks the same. It's not like, you know, every piece looks the same. It's just like some abstract art looking kind of thing. And she said, no, we're gonna do this over Christmas. So we'll set up a table, be kind of a family project. We'll do it over, you know, the week or two over Christmas. It'll be great. 
Okay, here we go. Remember, mind you, we have like, at this point, like two preschoolers and two young elementary age kiddos. We're all gonna do this thousand piece puzzle as a family. It's gonna be awesome, right? So we start working on it and you work on it. And I like randomly walk by and find like, I'm the guy that I have to find all the end pe- the edge pieces because they're kind of like the straight end. Other than that, I can't deal the middle of the puzzle. I'm like, let me help get the frame. You guys can do the inside. But we're working on this puzzle for days and days and days. You got the box right there. It's kind of the model. It's helping you figure out what to do. And you get towards the end and you start to see like it starts to fill in and everybody's getting excited and we're going to make this puzzle the family. It's going to be awesome. And we get right to the end and you get the last piece or two and you, you put it in and we look at the box and we look at the puzzle and you know what it is? There's a couple holes in the puzzle. Me, I'm like, all right, we've lost some puzzle pieces. Kids, what did y'all do, kids? You did it, preschoolers, what are you doing? So we search the house over for these puzzle pieces and we don't find them. And you look at the box and you look at the puzzle and it lays incomplete. We worked on this for weeks and the puzzle lays incomplete. We're like a puzzle that we have missing pieces in our character. Missing pieces in our lives that can only be filled in by trials and challenges. Jesus is the model of the box. He's, he's what God is building us to, to look more and more like Jesus. And when we walk through trials, it's developing our character. It's building up toughness in us. It's growing us to be more and more like Jesus. Without the trials, our puzzle would lay just like the one did at our home, incomplete. We need those trials in order to grow and strengthen us. You know, maybe this morning, maybe whatever you're walking through today or maybe whatever you will be walking through in the days ahead, maybe this frames up a little bit of a different perspective of God is at work when we walk through trials. You know, if he answered, if God answered most of our prayers, then our faith and character would be much less developed. If he answered the prayers that we usually pray, we're actually praying for our faith to not be strengthened. Because typically we pray prayers of please get rid of this, eliminate this, fix this, stop this. Not wrong. Prayers I pray and we're going to continue to pray. However, I might challenge you a little bit in that same respect. Maybe we need to pray, God, develop in me what you're developing through this trial. Fill in the missing gaps in my character through this trial. Maybe we view the trial not from a short-term lens of the immediate pain, but from the long-term lens of what God is actually doing as he's maturing our faith. Now look with me in verse, verse 12 here. Let me read verse 12 as you jump down. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Here's the fifth point this morning is this. Trials reveal something. They reveal our true faith. When we walk through things, they reveal our true faith. So you look in this, this verse 12, it's a connection back to verses two through four. It's, it's speaking back that when you walk through things, it reveals your true faith. Remember the big idea? that I shared with you earlier, trials can either lead us toward the Lord or away from him, depending on how we respond. 
Trials can lead us to step in and lean into the Lord and call out to him more, or we begin to pull away, begin to isolate ourselves. I don't know how many times I've spoken with church members who begin to walk through a very difficult season of life. And there's, there's one of two responses. Many times church members will pull back, disconnect from their life group, pull back from their friends and begin to isolate themselves because it's so difficult. That's the exact opposite thing we should do. When it says here, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. We need to lean into the Lord. We need to lean into our Christian friends, friends to hold our arms up, to encourage us, to help us. The enemy would love, no, love nothing more than when you're walking through a difficult day for you to isolate and pull yourself back from the church, from your godly friends. That's what the enemy wants you to do. And the Lord wants you to lean into him, lean into your friends. It's the greatest thing you can do. You know, here at, at Belshaw's back in August, we preached a series about the pathway. We talked about that in spiritual growth, we need to worship the Lord. And we need to connect with others in life group because we're made for community. We're not to do life alone. We're to serve in ministry and missions and we're to grow. We're to grow deeper in the Lord. If you're here today and you're just coming to worship, you're missing out. For you to remain steadfast under trial, you need people to come alongside you. That's, that's where that connect piece in our pathway is. For you to connect with others in life group, people in a similar season of life that can encourage you and pray for you and care for you. And if you're not plugged into a life group, then you're trying to walk this Christian life alone. And we were made to do this together so that when one of us struggles, we can help each other and we can really encourage each other. And maybe for you as well, maybe you're walking through something that you need to be part of a smaller discipleship group. And we have a, a D groups, discipleship groups that are meeting. We have about 25 groups that are currently meeting across all of our campuses. A hundred and some church members are plugged into these disciple making groups. Maybe that's something for you that would cause you to grow deeper in the Lord. We've got an interest meeting actually next Sunday, December 4th at two o'clock in our adult ministry building, if that's something that, that you believe that you need in your walk with the Lord. But let me just encourage you, when you walk through life's trials, here the text says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. It's hard to remain steadfast when you pull away from the church, when you pull back from the Lord, when you pull back from others. We need to lean in. In the most difficult moments, you shouldn't pull back. You need to lean in. You need to press in. I love this couple of verses here in 1 Peter chapter 1 that really summarizes what we've looked at this morning. Here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. I mean, here's Peter saying, rejoice, you're walking through various trials. And look in verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, you walk through trials, it reveals your true faith. It's testing how genuine is your faith in Jesus. He says it's more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire. When we're in trials, it's tested. But look at the result, that it may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, I want nothing more than for my life to point others to Jesus. 
that whatever I walk through, that ultimately it doesn't point to me. Ultimately it points to the praise and the honor and the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're to be about. When we, re, when we remain steadfast under trial, when we hang in there, when we struggle, when we lean into others, man, it gives praise to Jesus, the fact that we're pursuing him and he's holding on to us. Man, I'm reminded a number of years ago, there was a new high school football coach. He had rolled up to his high school and was trying to figure out how he was gonna prepare for the next year. Obviously he was hired because there was major challenges and that high school football program. And this was a number of years ago, back when you could do two-a-day practices. You remember that? When you were allowed to do two-a-days. And the coach told everybody that was coming out to try out for the team and had been on the team the years before, he said, here's what we're gonna do. For the next two weeks, we're gonna have practices twice a day. 14 days, 28 practices. A morning practice and an afternoon practice in the crazy heat. And here's what's gonna happen. After 28 practices, if you're still here, you're on the team. And after 28 practices, if you said, this ain't for me, and you've quit, and you walked away, it's just too tough, then you're, you're not on the team. So they began having these practices day after day after day. And of course, the number of players that were trying out was a huge group, and it started whittling down. As it got more and more difficult, it started whittling down. And late in the second week, one of the players was down on his hands and knees late in the afternoon. He was exhausted. He was spent. Everybody was kind of toast on the team. And he's sitting on this football field, down on his hands and knees, and he just kind of leans up, gets his head up, just enough energy, and he just yells out out of the blue, I'm still here. And it just kind of resonated across the field. And he waited a second, and he just yelled it again, I'm still here. Some of the other players kind of heard that thought, and they thought, yeah, a bunch of my buddies, they're no longer here. They quit. It got too tough for them. They walked away until these other guys start yelling out, I'm still here. And before you know it, across that football field, chorus rang out of people just yelling out, I'm still here. Their mere presence was enough for them just to be there and make it. You know, sometimes in the Christian life, we just need to yell out, I'm still here. Sometimes it's not about always having it all together. Sometimes it's about getting up on a Sunday morning and showing up and saying, Jesus, I don't even know how to sing this song. I don't even know how to raise my hand. I don't even know if I wanna be here. I'm struggling. And you can say, but I'm still here. Sometimes it's about just saying, I'm still here. Let me encourage you today. If you're here and you're struggling in your marriage, don't quit. Don't walk away. So easy to act like everybody's got it all together. Marriage is the greatest institution to reveal our sin and the greatest institution for sanctification like nothing else. Don't quit. Hang in there. Hang in there. Be as faithful as you can be. Parents in the room, I've got four kids. Parenting's tough. Our lead pastor calls it the hardest job in life is to be a parent. I kind of second that. Parenting can be tough. Sometimes we don't know what to do or how to handle it. Sometimes we just wanna quit. Now I've heard it said, you never know how dumb you are till you have teenagers. That's true in the Odom home. I thought I was cool. No, I am not. But sometimes parenting can be tough. And sometimes you just wanna quit. You just wanna say, I don't do whatever you wanna do, kids. I don't know. I can't figure this out. No. You keep pairing the best you know how. Just be faithful the best you know how. We're not perfect. We don't have it all figured together. We don't have it all figured out. 
but just yell out, I'm still here, I'm trying. Let God do the rest. Maybe at work, you're facing some real challenges and some trials. Maybe you're being pressed. Maybe you're being pressed to step into some things that don't honor the Lord. You just be faithful to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm still here. I'm working where you've called me to work. Just press into that. Don't quit. Don't quit. Look at me in verse 12. The second half of verse 12. It says, for when he stood the test. When you're tested, when you're pushed, when you're challenged. It says, when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. There's a lot of people that go through trials. We saw earlier, it doesn't discriminate. Everybody goes through trials. But everybody doesn't let the Holy Spirit cause them to endure through the trials. It says here, there is a great reward coming. And I tell you, the reward is well worth it. Say, I'm still here. You remain, you call out to the Lord. The holiday season is the happiest season of all but not always, but not always. Just encourage you today that trials don't discriminate. We're to meet them with joy. That doesn't make sense. Look beyond your circumstance to the God of all comfort because he's producing something in you, a toughness. He's maturing your faith. And there's a reward that's coming as he grows your faith. It's gonna be well worth it. Trials are not an enemy of your faith. They're a friend of your faith. Whatever you're going through this holiday season, let me remind you of the big idea. May your trials lead you to be closer to the Lord, not further away from Him. Whatever you're walking through, step into Him. Lean into Him. If you're a believer here today, you're like, man, I don't know what to read in the Word. Just open it. Go to the Gospel of John. Read a half a chapter a day. Start somewhere. I mean, I don't know what to pray. Just open your mouth. Don't quit. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're just coming to worship, then the next step for you, maybe get plugged into life groups. Go see somebody at the high top tables. Say, man, I need to do this Christian life, not alone. We'd love to help you with that. And if you're here today and maybe you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, for you, I implore you, Surrender to Jesus, the one who I spoke of who came and died on the cross to offer you a right relationship with him, to be reconciled to him, to be brought in relationship. Oh man, don't leave today. Don't leave today without talking with someone about how you can know Jesus. You can go to those high top tables. We'd love to just share with you what it means to know Jesus. Or you can text us to Bell Shoals. You can text... Bell Shoals to 77411. Bell Shoals 77411. And somebody on our team will reach out to you. We'd love to just dialogue with you. What does it mean to follow Jesus, to surrender to him? You can make this the greatest Christmas ever if you'll place your faith and trust in Jesus. Church, whatever you're walking through, whatever journey you're on, may you lean in to the Lord, don't lean away.